morning. No, 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 really. Good morning. There we go. I want you to get really, really excited. Because we just had in the bulletin, we, we, we mentioned that the candlelight service is just around the corner. I know it, it seems like it's really far off, but before you know it, it'll be upon us. So I'm up here because I have a clipboard. And we used to be known as the Church of the Clipboard. Sign-up sheet. Because we had a sign-up sheet for everything. So this, on this nice green clipboard is the sign-up sheet for the candlelight service. So many of you will remember when it was you all volunteering to do something during the candlelight service. Of course, there would be there'd be corporate singing, but it might be someone else coming up here in between that and singing a song or, or reading a poem or something of, of that nature. And so we want to go back to that format where it is the people praising God and remembering the first advent of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. So I have a sign-up sheet. It says 15 twice, so there's actually 16 slots to sign up for. I get, I get one of them, but, but you have to get your name on the list. You don't have to know exactly what you're going to do. Just get your name on the list. Because you don't want me up here singing. I will make a joyful noise. So consider putting your name on this list, or I may come and find you and put your name on the list. So anyway, so we have a we have a list. All right, so that's for Friday, December twenty second. And again, uh, I will say, and the pastor sitting up there. Uh, we'll, Sign up, and if you're going to do a song or a poem or whatever, the elders will need to see that beforehand. We want to make sure everything we're doing is, we're not doing the Grinch or anything like that, okay? So um, anyway, uh, yeah, sign up. We'd love to see many of you folks uh, involved with this, and you can be creative, but again, everything needs to be focused on uh, the true meaning of, of Christmas, which is Christ. So uh, give you that. Reminder Again, uh, just by way of some announcements, we encourage you to participate in the many uh, small groups that we have that are meeting throughout the week. And um, uh, one of them, of course, the Thursday night group is uh, broadcast over Zoom and Facebook and uh, through our web page. So uh, if you can't be there in person but want to participate, we encourage you to, to come on in and uh, we just love interacting with you that way. So. Uh, we have all of those things taking place. And uh, I need to get the elders together as at our business meeting. We determined we'd like to have a showing of the essential church uh, that we'll do together corporately. So we'll get a date chosen here before too long so that uh, we can uh, enjoy that time together. So we'll be working on that and get back to you on that. Uh, any other announcements that we need to make? Well, I think we'll get uh, Brother Joe up here as quickly as we can because I know there's a lot of information he's got to, to cover, but we'll continue today in our series, uh, Discovering the Heart of Hope, and this again, as a reminder, you are here, uh, we'd love to get your input on things, this is in part being developed to be our new members class, and so 
you know, be thinking of it like, hey, this is the first time I've ever heard about these things, and, and we want to make sure that we're communicating well, and I appreciate Joe has sought to cover all of those bases, but it always is good to get uh, more input. So we look very forward to uh, hearing this, our, our second session, and uh, let's thank the Lord for our time together, and we'll invite Brother Joe to come and lead us in our time. Father God, we thank you once again for the church the church for which our Lord Jesus Christ gave himself up for, the church that's been redeemed by his blood so that we might have our sins forgiven and be covered by his righteousness so that we might stand before you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We thank you for so great a salvation and such a privilege it is to be part of the body of Christ. And we continue to pray for our time together as we work through discovering the heart of hope. Lord, while many of us may have been here for a while, we pray that you would refresh our hearts and minds towards why we gather as a church. For those that are newer, may this just be that which encourages and inspires them to become even more engaged and involved. But in all of it, our desire is to see Christ exalted. May your church be built up through that process, and we'll be careful to give you the praise. As we ask this in Jesus' name. Good morning again. Uh, <clears throat> I feel so blessed to be with you this second Sunday as we continue, as Pastor said, our study in discovering the hope, heart of hope. And I'd like to ask you uh, to turn to the Gospel of Matthew uh, and be looking at chapter 16, such a familiar account as we begin this session this morning. And it's a section in this that I can remember from so many uh, in my early days walking with Christ by his grace, being fascinated by this account. And it's in verse 13, if, if I can read this section, uh, again, very familiar, Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. And uh, Matthew records, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus answered and said to them, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And verse 18 is really what I'd like us to pay attention to this morning. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it's this awesome picture about Christ saying 2,000 years ago that I will build my church. As we sit here and gather this morning, we have to understand that we are here because of this work that he has done building his church. He has brought uh, the ones, the called out ones that the Father had given him before the foundation of the world had brought them out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he's called us in this time to be part of this. And we who are here, I think this is the picture that I love to think of. I've heard, we've heard a lot of testimonies. We did Saturday was, yesterday was blessed day, hearing testimonies and just as uh, about the ministries that are here and from individuals. And here, and, and 
will follow, we're going to have some biographies this morning of the leadership at Hope. And I see this word, we felt led by the Spirit of God to be here. And that's the picture I want us to understand, is that Christ who builds his church, again, taking from every tongue, tribe, and nation on the face of the earth, but purposing to bring his people, his sheep, to be participate, to bring glory to him in one place. And we're here at Hope. And so I hope again, hope again, I trust again that as we continue to open up the pages to look really at the character of this church that we have come to love, that we'll be so encouraged to understand that we're here because of Christ's calling and that he has a purpose and plan for us in this body of believers. Well, I'd like to uh, read as we begin this morning, Peter, if we could go to that uh, second slide and just give you an understanding of where we are. Um, we are in the second session, and we will be looking this morning, kind of following up from last uh, Sunday, to finish out this picture of the church membership at Hope. And in this, I trust it's going to really be uh, exciting for us. We'll look at the history of Hope. How? What has gone on before us today? What? What has the Lord brought as He's been building His church at this location? And we'll also look at the leadership. We'll get a, a chance to look at biographies of the men that God's raised up to be our leaders, our spiritual leaders here. And so I think that will be encouraging. We'll then look at number two, uh, what is hope's polity? It's a word that, uh, in all honesty, for many years I'd hear the pastor talk about it, and I didn't have a clue what it was. But polity, as we understand it, is it's the operational and the governance of the body of Christ. It's how leadership functions within the body to serve Christ and to bring encouragement to, to Christ's sheep here. And the last thing we'll look at uh, this morning is biblical Christianity's doctrinal triage. And I'll explain as we get to that, the use of that word triage and how it applies to this. And actually, we're going to, uh, it will be next Sunday, by God's grace, we'll then look at the biblical doctrines that hope stands on. But this will be a good preliminary view of Christian doctrines and those that are so essential to our faith. So with that, I'd like uh, to read a scripture uh, again that uh, as we look at the next slide, number three, Peter does such a great job and is so patient with me, so... So thankful to him. What I have up here is uh, from Hebrews chapter 12. Again, very familiar verses to us. And verses 1 and 2. And uh, what, as we begin thinking about the history of hope, let me just read these verses. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Such glorious words and the ones that really struck my heart in this week thinking about as we're continuing our journey, looking at the heart of hope, is that very first part where the writer said, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And that fact, that verse, doesn't mean that these uh, are spectators who somehow in heaven look down upon earth. 
Rather, they witnessed to us by their lives of faith and endurance and set a high standard for us to duplicate. These are the ones that in looking at the history of hope that have gone before us. There have been many brothers and sisters in Christ that we will, will probably, obviously, so many we won't meet on this earth, but we'll meet them in eternity. And they've come here and been led here as Christ built his church here and have invested in that. So I have a history. Uh, if we can look at this, I've just got some bullet points up here. And as I tend to do in this presentation, to read through the notes I have, I have a lot up here. And my heart is this, that sometimes when you just hear someone reading, it's hard to remember. So I've got a little bit of a visual thing. But let me read as we're looking at this history of hope. Forty-five years ago in 1978, a small Bible church group meeting in Lowell, Arkansas, decided to form their own church. June Wolsey, who isn't here this morning, it's amazing when I see June, she was here. She was one of the founding members, and she still smiles I see her here, and still seems to have the joy of the Lord's heart. But let me go on. Beginning as the, uh, that was the Evangelical Free Church of America in Rogers, Arkansas, there was a lady named Ruth Mason who was part of that group. And listen to this. She purchased the first church building on 11th Street in Rogers and gave it to Hope. There's someone being led of the Lord with a heart to come. You can imagine a, a small group meeting in a home, and here comes a godly lady that says, I'll buy this property so we can have this church. Well, going on, it says, because few people were familiar with the Evangelical Free Church at that time, they launched the church as Hope Chapel. Jonathan Winger became the first pastor of Hope in September of 1978. His preaching style would have been best characterized as an expository verse-by-verse -verse treatment of various books within the Bible. This commitment separated hope from other churches in Rogers. Does it not still separate hope from other churches in Rogers to God's glory today? In 1984, Jonathan and his wife, Barbara, left hope. The church soon called Andy Woodring and his wife, Barbara, to the pastor, to be pastor. Andy and Barb had three young children whom they began to homeschool. Sometime during Pastor Woodring's tenure, the church name was changed back to Hope Evangelical Free Church. This is a, a, a large capture that Chris and Sarah put to really give us a little bit more fascinating background at the church at this time. The building had an amazing big electric organ and gigantic speakers built in the front of the worship center. A door next to the platform led to a little toilet room the only bathroom in the entire church. It was back in those days. <laughs> Past the little toilet room in a narrow hallway was a library meeting room. Classrooms were upstairs in the back half of the building. Under the classrooms was a multi-purpose space used for fellowships. However, the building had its issues. It had insufficient parking, nowhere to expand, an inconvenient bathroom facility, and was simply too small. So they decided to sell the building. This is where it gets interesting. That building was sold to a Mormon group in or, in or around 19, 1991 or 92. Andy did not want to leave the organ for the Mormons. So it was dismantled and taken out. 
They met for several years at the Oakdale Junior High on Dixieland and Rogers. They were allowed to build a storage building on the property for their supplies. They also built a rolling cart to move the stuff from inside the school to the storage building. Andy left the church in while they were meeting at the school to a ministry call in Texas. For the next year or more, they depended on interim pastors. In 1993, Hope purchased the land and facility we currently meet in. In 2000, in order to better reflect the vision of the congregation, the name was changed to Hope Community Bible Church. In 2004, the congregation determined, because of its more reformed theology, to end its association with the Evangelical Free Church and become an independent Bible church. Over the past 45 years, there have been four pastors. Our current pastor, Edward Godfrey, began as the youth and worship pastor in 1995 and became the te teaching pastor elder in 1998. During Pastor Ed's 28 years, the church has become introduced to and fully embracing the doctrines of grace through verse-by-verse -verse expository preaching, holding forth as its version of the statement uh, from 2 Peter, as Pastor Ed mentioned this morning, growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's such a beautiful picture, again, of 45 years. That's, that's a long time. I'm really old, but that even seems long to me, of what God's been doing in this midst. And we come in this day and this time to follow up on these that have gone ahead. So may we be faithful to what they did, and we may we grow even more, as Pastor Ed so well said so well. Well, the next section we'd like to look at uh, is to begin looking at the leadership at Hope. Uh, we'll look at the elders. It's really exciting because as of yesterday, we have a new elder, so I had to fix my slides real quick. <laughs> so, but let's walk through these, and I know so many of you as, as church family know a lot of this, but, but it's encouraging, I think, for all of us to understand some more background from the leadership that God's raised up. So first we'll look at our pastor teacher, Ed Godfrey. Pastor Ed has served at Hope Community Bible Church six, since September 1995. First as a youth and worship pastor from 1995 to 98, and then as pastor teacher since 1998. Prior to coming at Hope, he'd served the church at large in various ministries from 1988 to 95 as pastor and then pastor of Village Bible Evangelical Free Church in Bella Vista, youth pastor at Scripps Mesa, Mesa Bible Church in San Diego, pastor and intern at Redlands Community Church in Grand Junction, Colorado, and as youth pastor at Community Bible Church in San Diego. Starting out, I knew this is why I really had a heart for Pastor Ed. Starting out pursuing a degree in biochemical engineering at uh, University of California, San Diego, Ed followed the call to pursue full-time ministry, attending Christian Heritage College in San Diego from 87 to 90, and receiving his degree in pastoral biblical studies. He completed New Testament Greek through Linda Visa, I'm sorry, Visa Bible Seminary in San Diego at the same time. Ed's role at Hope Community Bible Church includes preaching and teaching during the Sunday services, overseeing the teaching ministries of the church and working with the rest of the elders to provide leadership to the entire church. 
Ed enjoys dis discipleship ministries, working with various men in the church to train them in ministry. Ed and his wife, Laura, have two adult children, Luke and Elizabeth, as well as six grandchildren. Ed and his wife, Laura, oh, I'm sorry. In addition to the various ministries they are involved with at church, Ed and Laura love hiking, raccoons, and the fellowship of saints beyond the walls of the church. The second one we'll look at is our elders and look at Brett Yamaji. Brett has served as an elder pastor at Hope Community Bible Church since November of 2015. Prior to serving as elder, he served two years as a deacon. Currently, Brett is full as a fill-in teacher-preacher when there is an opening. Brett owned, earned his BA and Bachelor of Science in Accounting from DeVry University, Kansas City, Missouri. Before moving to Arkansas, he served six years in the United States Marine Corps Reserves. Brett is currently employed as a business analyst for Sam's Club. He has worked for Walmart since 2007. He loves to teach and preach the word of God, is passionate about sharing the gospel with people he works with, or through his blog and teaching and modeling what it means to be a man that God desires men to be. Brett's married to Kathy, and they have, are blessed with six children, Charlotte, Thomas, Vanessa, Violet, Carrie, Martine, and Francisco. Looking now at uh, next elder is Phil Cobb reading his biology, Phil first began, began attending Hope Community Bible Church in April of 2019 after moving to Bella Vista from the Fort Worth area. He became members of Hope in 2019, began serving as a deacon in 2020 and 21 uh, that, of that church calendar year, affirmed as an elder in 2022 uh, calendar year. Martha and Phil are both native Arkansans. When they moved to the Bella Vista area, they were looking for a solid Bible-based uh, body of Christ that taught Reformed theology. And so we're very thankful that the Lord led us to Hope Community Bible Church. Next is our newest elder, uh, good brother, uh, Chris Collins. Chris is an Arkansas native. He was born in Rogers, Arkansas in 1976 and graduated from Rogers High School in 1995. He was born again in March of 1995 and became, became a member of Hope uh, Community Bible Church in late of 1996. Soon after, he joined the youth staff and has served in some capacity in that ministry all the way to the present where he serves as a main teacher and leader. Around 2009, he began serving as a deacon. In 2023, he joined the elders to help shepherd the flock of God. He has led children ministry since 2018, which includes the nursery, children's church, and the youth group. He also teaches in both the children's church and youth group. One of his greatest joys is being able to serve in both of those ministries with his wife, Sarah. They were married in 1996 and had six children, Nicodemus, Zechariah, Hadassah, Abigail, Elijah, and Faith, all of whom they have homeschooled. We now look at our deacons. Uh, first is Peter, Peter. Peter has served as a deacon since October of 2018. He oversees the church facility maintenance. He manages the audio-visual booth and live streaming of church services on Sunday. He is the church's IT or computer guy. 
Peter came to know the Lord at the age of 18. He's an avid reader and history buff, loves Bible prophecy, and loves expository preaching at Hope Community Bible Church. He loves the Word of God, is passionate about sharing the gospel and serving God's people. He has a heart for hospitality. He currently owns and operates a small regenerative farm. He loves breeding and raising various animals. Peter is married to Kathy. They have three children and two grandchildren. And the last deacon uh, for hope is uh, Brother Jerry Villar. <clears throat> Jerry has served as a deacon at Hope since November of 2022. He serves as a liaison <clears throat> excuse me, between Hope and Hispanic churches, churches that share our facilities. He also serves as a leader for the Hope uh, youth group. Gary has a passion for counseling the men of the church and exhorting them to be biblically sound examples of Christ. Gary has been a member of Hope since October 2013. Gary is married to his wonderful wife, Elizabeth, and they have four children, Eddie, Mia, Rosie, and Zeke. Well, I think if you are like me and having just listened to this, we are so blessed by having, we see here, this leadership of six godly men. And I think the thing that you see a, a common thread that runs through all these men's hearts is as they put these Bibles together, it's a love for Jesus Christ, it's a love for his church, and it's a love for the word of God. And so we are so well served to God's glory by these men that he's raised up. Well, we'll go now to the next section uh, for our study this morning and we're going to be looking at what is hope's polity and again that word really uh, has an understanding of it's an, the operational and governance structure of the church it's like uh, if you have you know, if I can compare the body of Christ the church here to a business that there's a, a form in which the management deal with that well the same thing is true with the church is that there's a form in which leadership is, comes to serve the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we are, comes to how they teach them, how they care for them, and so that's really this word polity. So uh, along this is one of the most important things to understand about hope is that hope is an elder-led congregation. Now, the contrary to that is an elder-ruled congregation, and elder-ruled congregations where the elders are the ones that rule over the body. They make the decisions for the body and they implement those decisions. That is not hope's polity. Hope's polity is that we are led by our elders. And so we saw the greatest example of this, all that were able to be here yesterday as we had our yearly uh, business meeting. And it was such a glorious picture of the pattern we see that Paul speaks of so much to Timothy about raising up elders to be about this work of governing the body. So uh, this form of church governorship, the congregational, in this form, the congregation affirms the primary office holders to respective terms at our annual business meeting, who then make decisions for the day-to-day -day life of the church. So that's what took place yesterday. As we came together as a congregation, we had some resolutions that were brought by the elders, recommendations by the elders. But we, the congregation, if it's the right term, and I guess it is, we voted on those recommendations to affirm them. And so that's the picture of an elder-led church. 
I want to just step through. I've got some points here that I think are really important, and we've had a lot of emphasis lately on this at Hope, but I don't think it can be overemphasized. To understand what these men, uh, all of them, as we all are, sinners saved but by grace, by God's grace, raised up to function in this role for Christ's church that he's building here at Hope. And just to understand the responsibilities that these men willingly come and un undertake as they assume these offices. The first ones here are elders shepherd the flock of Jesus Christ under the headship of Christ and the authority of the word of God. From Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, it's where uh, Luke writes, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I think that's what's so glorious about true elders, is that they understand that every one of us who, who they're the under-shepherd to Christ, as it says so clearly, but they're shepherding, shepherding the sheep of Christ, and they understand, and they look at us and teach us and care for us, understanding we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is not any kind of an organization it's one that God's purpose to, to raise us up in this day and time, and they certainly approach that with that responsibility. The next point is elders are responsible for the spiritual matters of teaching God's word, fellowship, the practice of communion, and prayer. In Acts 2.42, verse that's so familiar to us, the picture uh, at the time of Pentecost, and we see the Peter recording says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And it's the picture, the overall picture of what the elders are responsible for. Next point is elders oversee all the general operations of the church, including various groups, organizations, the physical properties, the finances, and other temporal matters. Uh, we again had a great experience of that yesterday in looking at the finances. We had a budget presented that the elders had uh, recommended but it's presented to the congregation for our review and to approve, and so it's a picture of overseeing the general operation of the church. The next point is so important, I think, and it's what is so precious to me in what God is doing at Hope in our leadership team, is that elders operate as a team of equals, with senior teaching elder pastor generally serving as a spokesman. But you can approach every one of these four men who now serve as elders as pastors. They come to pastor the sheep of God's flock, of Christ's flock. And they have a heart, a pastor's heart, which is a tender heart and a genuine heart. And so, and they all function in that role, all four of them. Looking now at uh, some of the deacons' uh, responsibilities, the deacon, deacons' function as those, those who help the elders by taking on various administrative roles and by serving the flock. And the account, of course, is from Acts chapter 6. We see with such clarity as the church began and Peter had found himself being involved in, in serving and waiting on tables, but God had called them to be about prayer, about teaching, and he raised up what we now know as deacons. And so it's the heart of the deacon which in all honesty has always been to me, I've always been humbled to see the servants of God. You can look around and you can see the men and the women indeed who have a heart to serve. And, and I, 
deacon, in all honesty, it's just, it's not my gifting. I don't believe, not the way a deacon is, but that's the picture of a deacon, is those that come along and, and to serve the body of Christ. The deacon's responsibilities are also delegated to them by the elders in order to keep with the ministry of the elders, and they meet regularly with the elders to that end. The elders and deacons, and sometimes a couple of men, serve as members at large, which we do have here at Hull, to meet to discuss, plan, and pray for the needs and ministries of the congregation on what we call the church leadership team. Out of these leadership team meetings, the team then communicates with the congregation on church policy and decisions regarding church ministries, outreach, vision for spiritual and physical growth. The congregation, important to hear this, the congregation is consulted on major issues such as affirming of officers, the annual budget, incurring debt to build new buildings, and calling on a new pastor where they have opportunity to voice support or opposition to such issues. There's a term that in my uh, previous churches, uh, I, I think it's really clear here as uh, pastor and the elders, they want us to be known as a pastor-led church. There can be a term that you may come across as of being a congregational church. And in that sense, we are that. It's just like we saw demonstrated yesterday. Once again, the elders came with recommendations that they were recommending to the congregation, but then they asked us to review those congregations and for us to partake in making a decision to accept or not those recommendations. So to me, it's a beautiful picture of functioning of the body of Christ. The church bylaws provide the elders and the congregation the means to deal with matters that should it come to pass that unbiblical decisions or a church leader officer needs to be under discipline and be removed from office. We have provisions in the bylaws of the church should such a situation ever come up. So once again, the congregation has the bylaws spell out, you know, it's the Matthew 18, if need be, when disciple discipline is needed. So those are part of the bylaws of the church. Well, I know I'm moving quickly and reading a lot, so I apologize for that. But this part we're going to go into uh, is something that has always been so passionate on my heart. I shouldn't say always, just to be kind of share a little bit of personal testimony. So early in my walk with the Lord, I was always amazed at what Christ had done because I knew how dark my heart was when he saved me. And I had one of those salvation experiences that was truly a realization that in a moment of time, uh, as I would learn, understand later from John chapter 3, the Spirit of God moved through my heart and changed my heart, and, and I was changed in, in a moment. And so, uh, so much of those early years, though, uh, to be honest, I was in a charismatic church for the first seven years, and it was quite different than this. But somehow, in my heart, even in that charismatic church, and it wasn't truly a fully health, wealth, and prosperity church, but we were on the fringes of that for sure. And it just questioned, I remember, I knew I had been changed, and I never wanted to go back to wherever I was before. But I just questioned this thing. Can I dictate to God these things I need and expect him to respond to my whims and my wishes? And it always bothered me with that. And so by God's grace and moving, 
it says, Pastor spoke of this work of being sanctified, this work of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit led me out of that type of church functioning and in all honesty brought me to a Baptist church, which was quite a shock from a charismatic church. But it was there I began to see and just get a glimpse of what this section talks about, about the doctrines of our faith. And in all honesty, it was only many years after that when the Lord brought me to a Reformed church as Levi. And in this Reformed church, they taught and they lived out the doctrines of the Christian faith. And it's the first time, I think, the different parts of salvation, and they were for me. I knew I'd been changed, but I couldn't always connect all the different parts. But when you study the doctrines part of it, when you look into the heart of God, I think what he brought about, then everything begins to be connected. And you have such a sense and a peace in your heart of how you see what God's done from the beginning all the way through. And so that's what doctrines are. And I love doctrines. And I love that this church loves doctrines. And we're steeped in the doctrines of God. So this section, we're not until next Sunday, by God's grace, going to look at specifically how the essential doctrines of the Christian faith what hope stands on, but this will give us a preview, and my thought in this is just let's look at what we understand uh, are the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, and then later we'll see how where hope stands on that. But the very first thing, let me just read this part from uh, Paul's words to Titus. Paul charges Titus, this is from Titus 2.1, he says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Paul had such an understanding that all the teachings that were to be done to the body of Christ had to be anchored in sound doctrine, the doctrine we find in the Word of God. And so with such a mandate, it makes it obvious that sound doctrine is important. But why is it important? It's kind of a question I pose. Does it really make a difference what we believe? So this little section that we're going to do here ask the question, why is sound doctrine so important? And what I have on the overhead and we'll share here is five different points of why sound doctrine is so important. Number one is our faith is based on a specific message. There are two verses in 1 Corinthians 15 that spell out the gospel. Let me read these two verses. For I delivered to you, listen to Paul, to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the summation of the gospel. Two verses is that, as Paul says, and what I love in this, he says, this is of first importance. So number one, why is sound doctrine so important? Because our faith is based on this specific message. You change that message, and the basic for faith shifts from Christ to something else. That's always got to be at the heart of our message. I know I think about it, and we know that, the, that Paul said that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation of all who will believe, Jew and Gentile alike. We need to have that message clear. We need to have it clear so when we are able, by God's grace, to share this gospel, there's a clarity and it's very two verses and how true that is. 
The second point of why sound doctrine is so important is that the gospel is a sacred trust. In Jude 1, uh, chapter 1, well, Jude 3, uh, verse 3, where he writes, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once of all, once for all handed down to the saints. And so the gospel that we have is a sacred trust that we have. Paul writes of this treasure that we have in earthly vessels. I've really pondered that verse and tried to understand it. I think a part of it is certainly it's the spirit of God who lives within us. But another part of that is that we have the gospel. We are the ones who are bringing the gospel to this lost world. We are the ones Paul writes so clearly in Romans. He says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how will they come to faith if they don't hear? And how will they hear if one of the preachers is sent? And so what we have, this gospel, is a sacred trust. And we are not to tamper with God's communication to the world. Our duty is to deliver the message and not to change it. The third point is concerning why is sound doctrine so important. What we believe affects how we live and what we do. I've got a section of verses here from 1 Timothy. And actually, it's where, let me read these verses, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. And Paul writing, he says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murders, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and listen, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul is showing this parallel between these sins that we recognize, these words we see, we understand sexually immoral, homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and he says another sin in this is whatever is contrary to sound doctrine. We have to know doctrine. It has to be in our hearts. So we know that the words that we speak are never contrary to the sound doctrine that we have in the word of God. I can remember, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but I was, my late wife and I were part of a church in, in Texas uh, a number of years ago, obviously. And uh, we had a group of men that met on Wednesday mornings. And I love men that meet in the morning and to study God's word. And, uh, and I love this because these were, were Baptist brothers. And I uh, came up with an idea. We had had a devotion every day, and it was really good, and would go through the word, and the studies were good. Came up with this wild idea, why don't we study the doctrines of our faith? So we began, and this may sound humorous, it, it wasn't at the time. And I can remember uh, we were studying the doctrine of election, and had a great brother in his life, Brother David. I'll never forget him. He was a great guy, and I know he knew the Lord and loved the Lord. So David's in there, part of this group, and so we're going through the study of election. And so David has to leave early, and I can still see him standing up in the corner of the room. We had like a 15, 12 or 15 guys there. David's over the stand of the room. He's got his Bible in his hand, and he says, well, I don't know about this. I don't like it, but I can't deny what the Word says. And that's what sound doctrine will do. And the truth is, and the pastor of that church, and his name's Brother John, and I love Brother John, and I know he knows the Lord, but Brother John, as the pastor, 
gave me the hint to not study doctrine because it stirred things up. So it's so important. I mean, that alone, and, and I'm not trying to be critical of my brother. I, he is a brother to me. I, I believe that. But how precious these doctrines are. And I promise you, as, as we become students of them and take time to learn them, our love for the Lord, it just grows. It, it does grow because it comes from him. Well, the next point in this, uh, a couple more points. He says, we must hold, why is sound doctrine important? We must hold to truth in a world of falsehood. Amen to that. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. That old analogy of the teller and the banker. You don't try to teach them all the counterfeit dollar bills. You just teach them what the real one looks like. And when he understands what the real one is like, he can pick out the false ones. So the truth is, is that we know need to know in our hearts the doctrine of our faith. What is our faith solidly based on? So when false doctrines our pastor's been doing such incredible walking us through Second uh, Peter and just having understanding of the threats that are out there uh, that we be uh, mature in the word of God and that we hold the doctrines firmly in our heart. The last point in this is that the reward of sound doctrine is eternal life. Paul writing to Timothy, uh, he said uh, in 1 Timothy 4.16, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Paul speaks of this need to hold on firmly to the doctrines of our faith. And so may this encourage all of us to do that. Well, moving on then, with those understanding, then uh, we're going to look at, again, this picture of Christian doctrine of the essentials of the Christian faith. And I'm going to read, I have a number of quotes uh, in here from Dr. Albert Moeller. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I think a very respected man in so many ways. But he certainly has a heart uh, for the word of God. So I'm, I'm going to read some of his quotes as we begin looking at uh, against the essential need to understand and be a student of the doctrines of our faith. In every generation, the church commanded to contend earnestly for the faith which was once of all delivered to the saints. Jude 3, we know that. Dr. Moeller says, that is no easy task. It is complicated by the multiple attacks upon Christian truth that mark our present day age. Assaults upon the Christian faith are no longer directed only at isolated doctrines. The entire structure of Christian truth is now under attack by those who have subvert Christianity's theological integrity. Today's Christian faces the formidable task of determining which Christian doctrines and theology issues are to be given the highest priority in terms of our current cultural and spiritual environment. This applies both to the public defense of Christianity in face of the secular challenge and the internal responsibility of dealing with doctrinal disagreements within the church. Neither is an easy task, but theological seriousness and maturity demand that we consider doctrinal issues in terms of their relative importance. 
that's the picture, and Dr. Moeller introduced this. It may not be have originated with him of triage. And triage, as Dr. Moeller would explain, is the picture when you go to an emergency room and the role of the doctors and physicians is to begin looking at what is the most essential uh, treatment that needs to be applied to this patient that just come in. What's the most serious of his ailments? And then from that on, you move on to the less serious ailments, and then you move on to the, the least of all that can make him more comfortable sometimes dead. So it's a picture of an order of essentials. What we will look at as being the core doctrines of our faith, the distinctive doctrines of our faith, and the characteristic doctrines of our faith. Dr. Muller goes on, he says, God's truth is to be defended at every point in every detail, but responsible Christians must determine which issues deserve greatest attention in a time of theological crisis. I want to share one more example I've shared with some of the men before. When Tina and I moved here, and we moved to Bella Vista, and we're in a little cul-de-sac with just four, three other neighbors, and I'm real anxious to meet neighbors, and so the neighbor over to our left, uh, I knew they, he was coming, he hadn't moved the house yet, so he arrives one day, and I go over there and say, hey, I'm Joe, and before long, I guess we speak a language, we feel blessed to be here, and one thing and another, and it comes out, and I say, yeah, we're Christians, and we love the Lord Jesus. This gentleman says, oh, I know Jesus, and I love Jesus. And so I thought, well, <laughs> I can get overwhelmed, I get over, I guess, overexert my enthusiasm sometimes. So I'm going to hug this gentleman because he's a brother in law. Well, pretty soon he'd say, in this same conversation, I'd say, yeah, we're looking for a, a, a church, a reformed church. And he says, well, I go to churches right over here. Well, it was the Mormon church. And so it, it's just been a real example to me. And, and by God's grace, uh, we, Tina and myself, have had opportunities to speak to this couple more. And I, gently, I want to make sure that his faith is not my faith, that his Jesus is not my Jesus, that it, we're biblical Christians. You'll find sometimes in this material, and I think we all begin to use that in our phrase, instead, I'm a Christian, I'm a biblical Christian. My Christianity is based on the word of God and the truth that comes from it. So, at any rate, all these things are uh, why it's so essential that we hold firmly to these doctrines. Well, with this in mind, I said, with this in mind, the elders of hope have identified three different levels of theological necessity, each corresponding to a set of issues and theolog theological priorities found in current doctrinal debates. So with this, we're going to look at the core doctrines. And so a definition of the core doctrines are those doctrines most central and essential to the Christian faith. Included among these most, most crucial doctrines would be doctrines such as the Trinity, the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, justification by faith, and the authority of Scripture. In the earliest centuries of the Christian church, heretics directed their most dangerous attacks upon its understanding of who Jesus is and in what sense he is the very Son of God. Other crucial debates concerning the question of how the Son is related to the Father and the Holy Spirit. So I've got some points up here. I said 
Some of these main points are the doctrine of the Trinity, the reality of the three coexistent, co-eternal persons who are God, one God existing in three persons. Just some contextual notes here at historic turning points such as the Council of Nicaea, Constantinople, and Chalcedon, Christian orthodoxy was firmly established and vindicated and heresy was condemned. As these councils dealt with doctrines of unquestionable first order importance, core doctrines, Christianity stands or falls on the affirmation that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. That's essential to our faith. Through these councils, the church quickly moved to affirm that the full deity and full humanity of Jesus Christ are absolutely necessary to the Christian faith. Any denial of what has become known as the Nicene Chalcedonian Christology is by definition condemned as a heresy. The essential truths of the incarnation include the death, the burial, and the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who deny these revealed truths are by definitions not Christians. The second of these is the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity, the same is true of the doctrine of the Trinity. The early church clarified and documented its understanding of the one true and living God by affirmation the full deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, while insisting that the Bible reveals one person, one God in three persons. The next one, uh, which is uh, one of the doctrines that, uh, it's, it's one, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Uh, what a precious doctrine this is, and, and again, trying to be just honest with you, it's a doctrine that I didn't understand fully, not fully from, from scripture until not too many years ago. But it's a doctrine that speaks about the act of God that applies to the sinner that has been born again, the righteousness of Christ. It's the imputation. I love the picture that before God, you know, the understanding I always had is a slate with the with every human being that's ever been on here. And as all of us come into life, we are all in Adam. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that in Adam, all die. In Adam, all are spiritually dead. As Paul, as Pastor Ed spoke about this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, we all come into life. R.C. Sproul used to say, children come into life, DOA, dead on arrival. And it's the truth. And justification is this most precious doctrine of where God the Father takes a declaration and applies, imputes his, the righteousness of his son to our account. So as we come into life in Adam, then justification is where God takes us and puts us in Christ. So the doctrine of justification by faith alone, I just said in addition to Christology and Trinitarian doctrines, the doctrine of justification by faith must also be included among these core doctrines. Without this doctrine, we are left with a denial of the gospel itself, and salvation is transformed into some structure of human righteousness. The doctrine of justification is what divides true biblical Christians from every other religion on the face of the earth. If we're not made right through the work of God the Father in applying the righteousness of Christ to us, then we are every other means of reconciling man to God is done by some sense of self-works, of self-righteousness. 
So it's this is doctrine of justification as such a clarification on the work of God to save sinners. The last one I have on here is the doctrine of the authority of Scripture. And the truthfulness and authority of the Holy Scriptures must also rank as a core doctrine. For without an affirmation of the Bible as the very word of God, we are left without any adequate authority for distinguishing truth from error. These core doctrines represent the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith, and denial of these doctrines represents nothing less than an eventual dis denial of Christianity itself. Well, the next uh, slide we have here is the distinctive doctrines. So we have core doctrines. The next one down in this triage is distinctive doctrines. This set of doctrines is distinguished from the core set by the fact that believing Christians may disagree on the distinctive issues. Uh, Dr. Moeller's comments in this, under this section again are really, I think, very on point. He said, with such disagreement, significant boundaries may arise between believers. When Christians organize themselves into congregations and denominational forms, these boundaries become evident. Distinctive doctrines would include the meaning and the mode of baptism. Baptists and Presbyterians, for example, fervently disagree over the most basic understanding of Christian baptism. The practice of infant baptism is inconceivable to the Baptist mind, while the Presbyterians trace infant baptism to their most basic understanding of the covenant. Standing together on the core doctrines, Baptists and Presbyterians eagerly recognize each other as believing Christians, but recognize that disagreement on issues of this importance will prevent fellowship within the same congregation or denomination. Christians across a vast denominational range can stand together on the core doctrines and recognize each other as authentic Christians, while understanding that the existence of distinctive disagreements prevents the closeness of fellowship that they would otherwise enjoy. A church will either recognize infant baptism or it will not. That choice immediately creates an incompatible stance with those who take the other position by conviction. So these are a distinctive, and I hope we understand, it does not mean that we have no fellowship at all. We just have to understand these limitations on where we are. Again, I'm getting close to running out of time here, but I think we're okay. I uh, just example my own life, one of the most wonderful churches my late wife and I attended in, in Texas when we were there. Uh, it was the first really reformed church I attended. But there, the pastor uh, was from a Presbyterian background. And uh, we would, uh, he would fence the large table when we come to communion and part of those positions that would be spelled out was that that a believer that would come to take a Lord's Supper must be someone who trusts in Christ alone for salvation. We all understand that. But the second point that would brought out is that they must be a baptized believer, and they would leave that baptism, baptism up to themselves. And so I would always, having come from a Catholic background, I would cringe at that. But that's where that was a distinctive for this church. And we stayed there, but it, every time I would cringe a bit because I believe in believer's baptism and they would accept the benefits. So it's a picture of distinctives. 
doesn't mean that you break fellowship. It just means that fellowship within the same body can cause uh, some difficulties. Well, the last point here as we wrap up uh, for this morning is the characteristic doctrines. These are doctrines over which Christians may disagree and remain in close fellowship even within local congregations. Debates over eschatology, for example, fall in this category. Christians who affirm the bodily, historical, and victorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ may differ over timetable and sequence without breaking the fellowship of the church. Christians may find themselves in disagreements over any number of issues related to the interpretation of difficult texts or understanding of matters of common disagreement. Nevertheless, standing together on issues of more urgent importance, believers are able to accept one another without compromise when third-order issues are in question. I think eschatology rises to the forefront as we think about these characteristic uh, uh, doctrines. Another one is cessationism. Do we believe that the gifts that we see in the early church, have they ceased? Are they still in practice? There's a number of issues that fall in this, but it does not mean we don't have fellowship. It means that uh, we love one another in the Lord. I think one of the greatest examples of this for me was years ago, and I know I'd recommend some of you, uh, John Piper, which I trust many of us know, John Piper had a, a thing uh, on, it's on YouTube, that was, the title of it was An, an Evening in Eschatology. And he had a, a theologian, I'd have to say, from a, a, uh, a covenantial background, he had one from a post-tribulation background, and he had one from a pre-trib background. And these three men, with John Piper kind of overseeing and, and managing, they discussed their eschatology. And what I love so much, it was a two-hour program, so fascinating. These were godly men and, and very well steeped in, in what they felt like their stand was in eschatology. But I loved at the very end of this, these three men said, we love one another. They expressed that love for one another because they love Jesus Christ. And so it just goes over all of that. So while these uh, characteristic uh, doctrines can maybe ruffle our feathers, so, <laughs> so to speak, it does not mean that it is anything to sever uh, fellowship and relationships. Well, I feel like I've read a lot from my text today, so I apologize for that. It can be a little awkward. And we're just right at the end, and so I don't know if there's any questions. Uh, it could be for those that were attended last uh, Sunday, may have questions from that or any today. Uh, I should have forewarned you to write down your questions, but is there anyone that has anything before we close this morning? There was a lot uh, today, um, so uh, by God's grace, we'll have one more section in this, and, and next week uh, we'll look at, as we've gone through these essential doctrines, we'll look at those that hope stands on, and I think we'll have a, a chance to see once again uh, the heart of hope as we examine that. So, Yes, I'm sorry. Distinctives. That's a great question, brother. I would almost say 
I'm looking at Pastor here. I, I thought through this, thought I'm going to stand in the school and go, I'm going to find Ed's wherever he is. Yeah. I, you know, my heart would be that it may be in the distinctives. Because I think a large church like uh, Grace Church, John MacArthur's church, with how many thousands and thousands of people, you, you can't really have a congregational church in that setting. It's just unmanageable. So I think that would be fall under distinctives in that. The little church I just referred to uh, in back in Texas that um, had spoken about infant baptism, accepted that. It was a, an elder-led church, and it was okay because we trusted the elders, but good, that's a good question. So, Yes, Beth? We're going to cover that next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's a... It's a section because it's really an important one. So, uh, again, I think that's under core. I think it's essential because we see in the Word of God the clarity with that. It's a big issue right now in the church and being played out. So, great question. Remind me next week. It's, <laughs> no, it's in there. So, any, anyone else? Well, thank all of you for being so faithful to stay for this second hour. Uh, just, uh, I'm blessed to, to have your attendance, and thank you for staying. So let, let me close in prayer this morning. Our Father in heaven, uh, Lord, you have blessed us at Hope with such a, a wonderful, fruitful, and blessed weekend through the events of yesterday and, and now today with worship and hearing your wonderful word preached so well. So we come, Lord, we come and we close this morning with hearts of thankfulness. We're always amazed at your grace. We're amazed at the gospel that to us, Lord, it changed our lives. How could, how could, could words that we might consider mere words and yet because of the power of you, Father, and the salvation, words are what changed our heart. And those words that changed our heart have brought us here and amazing is this providence that you bring into the heart and the lives of your people. So as we close this morning and, and go to a restful good rest of the Lord's day, just may we consider how amazing is your grace, how amazing is the call that you put on our lives, how amazing is our desire, I trust I speak for all my brothers and sisters, to honor you and to glorify you in our lives, in my life. So teach me, and Lord, humble me in areas that need humbling, and let me endeavor to want to know you. We've heard so well this morning. I want to know you more this day than I knew you yesterday. And I want this growth to continue for all the days you give me on this earth. I pray that's the heart of all of us, only by the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. So we love you, Father. We love your precious son. We love the amazing work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we are so amazed and thankful that you have loved us first. And we serve you and honor you with every breath we have. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.